I think we are on our sixth week or our fifth week in uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, we will be starting this morning at verse 12. Revelation 2, verse 12. Follow along with me as I read. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a couple weekends ago, uh, Laura and I had an opportunity to go to Chicago. And uh, it was Laura's 42nd birthday, and she just wanted an opportunity to get away and celebrate. And so I obliged. I said, okay, twist my arm, we will go. And we love going to the city. Here's, here's what Laura and I love. We love good food. We, we love good food. Amazing good food. We will just devour good food. We also enjoy good wine. If you want to treat me or my wine, a box of amazing chocolate, she likes the dark stuff, and a good bottle of red wine. We love it. We, we, we first went to a place called the Purple Pig. Have you ever heard of the Purple Pig on, on, uh, on Michigan Avenue, just north of the river? It is this place that is owned by a guy who owns the Francesca restaurants, and it is absolutely amazing. Every dish has pork in it and plenty of pork. And uh, so it, it was absolutely amazing. We had this meal, and it's kind of tapas style, small dish, small plates. So we just taste and we eat, and oh my gracious, we sat at the bar and just enjoyed this amazing food. Afterwards, we went to an amazing place, one of our favorite places called Bin 36. Bin 36 has uh, flights of wine, and they also have flights of cheese. We will sit there and eat cheese and wine all night long. We don't need a full meal. Just give us our favorite stuff. Afterwards, we, we went out and we, uh, we had an amazing cup of coffee along with this chocolate decadent cake. Laura and I are what I would call worldly Christians. We love all the gifts that God has given us in this world. We enjoy going to great games. We enjoy 
just sitting on the back deck, enjoying the nature that God has given us. We enjoy the food that he has given us. We enjoy everything that God has given us in this world. But this scripture this morning is talking about something else. He's saying, you are in this world and you are to enjoy all the gifts that I have given you. You are to savor them and they are to remind you of how good I am. You are to be Christians who are in this world, worldly Christians, but you are not to be Christians of this world. We look at James chapter 4, verse 4, where he, James says to the Christians of his day, do you not know that friendship with the world is friendship, is enmity with God? James is saying very clearly, do you not know that when you are so tightly tied to the world and its values and its things and you're suckered into what the world has to offer and you forget God, that that is really hatred of God. Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed by this world. Do not conform to it, to its values, its systems, its structures, its things, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're, we're called to be people who are living and dwelling. God has placed us here in this world for a specific purpose. His redemptive purposes. We are here for a reason, to enjoy God, but to be transforming agents of this world. We are to enjoy everything he has given to us. First John says, do not love the world. Do not love it. Enjoy all the, the gifts and the things that God has given to us. This church in Pergamum. It says, first it starts off with the, the typical address. To the church, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? The words of him who has a sharp, two-edged sword. If, if they were listening carefully, they would remember back to chapter 1 where it says, uh, it gives it this description of who Jesus is and what his character is like. It says in verse 16, sorry, in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And Jesus says, these are the words of him who holds the sharp two-edged sword. This picture of the one who has the power of the sword in his right hand. And if the people of Pergamum, the church, would, were listening to this, they would go, I know what he's talking about. You see, the governor in that time of, of Pergamum was given the right of the sword where he can execute life or death at a moment's notice. If somebody is not following the law of the land, if they are not worshiping Caesar, the governor of the land has the right to execute the power of the sword. He is the judge who executes the law. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who holds the sharp double-edged sword. I am ultimate authority here. But this I know about you folks. And that's what I love about Jesus. Is Jesus says, I know. I know where you live. 
I, I know your situation. And that's why I even love this morning being able to, to talk and share with Dave and Emily because, you know what, Jesus knows. I know your situation. Trust me, I know. I know your situation, and I know where you live. And Jesus describes it. He says, listen, I know where you live. And, and you, you live where Satan's throne is. What in the world? Satan has a house and a throne? Well, there's all kinds of images and pictures that go along with this. Is, is that up on top of this hill, there was a, a crest where there were many municipal buildings as, long, as well as temples. And at the top, there was a place that from a distance, it looked like a throne. Because the people worshipped multiple gods and there was kind of this pantheon up on top where it glistened from the sea and it looked like a throne. But this was also the place where Caesar was worshipped. It was the first place that was authorized to build a temple to Caesar. I, I know the place where you live, where Satan takes up his residence and he does his work there. And even religiously, it is, his work is executed there. I know where you live. And I know on top of that, that you are faithful. You have not given up your faith, even in the days of Antipas. We don't know much about Antipas. This is the only time that it's listed. However, what we do know from historical records is that Antipas, more than likely, was one of the early pastors, one of the early elders of the church, who during the times of heavy persecution stood up against and was killed for his faith. He was boiled to death, even in the times of Antipas. If I would see that, I would go, done, uncle, don't put me in any boiling water and kill me. I'm done. But even in those times, the church did not give up its faith, its love for Jesus. However, if Satan cannot come through the front door with persecution, what does he do? He comes in the back door that we often leave unopened, unlocked. As, as a kid who grew up on a farm, we had a mudroom. Anybody know what a mudroom is? Okay. A mudroom is the type of room, for those of you who don't know, is when you work on a farm, the last thing that you need is a locked door because you are covered with stuff and you smell like stuff and it's a place where you, you disrobe and you, you know that I've, I've got to get in because I'm, I'm not allowed in the front, front door because you smell and the last thing you want, the wife will want, is somebody to track in everything through the house and often the front door is for special guests and it's sometimes locked unless you're out in the country then every door is unlocked but the back door is open access for the family just come on in just come on in even through the mudroom so you disrobe and you just come on in and it's often in the church where the back door seems to be unlocked we we kind of lock the front door and just say okay well hold on who are you you know, we, the back door. Satan says, if I cannot get you through persecution, I'm coming in the back door. And how does he do it? He, he does it, 
You see it right here. But I have a few things against you. These are, and these are the few things. And when Jesus says, I've got a few things against you, the ears of the church should perk up. A few weeks ago, I said, our church is even under discipline. And we need to hear these words from Jesus when he says, I have a few things against you. We have got to be listening. And we've got to give an honest assessment because this is the one who walks among the churches, who is present even here this morning. Jesus is here with us. This is one of his lampstands. This is his church. He is sovereign over this church. And he may be saying to us this morning, I have a few things against you. And here's what it is. He says in verse 14, you have some there. You have some there. He's not talking about the entire church, is he? But he's saying, in your fellowship, in your church, you have some there. Who? And the first thing that goes through my mind is, you have some there who, and then he starts listing. This is a message to the church leadership. Because what he's saying is that you are not caring and shepherding your church well. Because amongst this church, there are some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. So they may eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Does anybody know the story of Balaam and Balak? Huh. This is a story of the children of Israel when they are, they are come about ready to enter into the promised land. And the, they were coming in mass. And all the nations are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are these people? And it seems like whenever they come in, the peoples are obliterated. And so Balak, the king of Moab, said, I have got to do something. I've got to put a stop to these people before they take over my land and destroy us. So what does he do? In all of his wisdom, he says, I'm going to find a prophet for hire. I'm going to find a guy who will curse the children of Israel. And so who does he find? He goes through the, the, the yellow pages of his time, all the stone tablets, and goes, Balaam, prophet for hire. And he, he sends out messages and envoys, people that are loaded down with gifts and very popular princes of the land, and sends them to Bal Balaam and says, come. Balak is asking you for his, to do some services. Multiple times, Balaam says, no, I will not. I cannot speak against God nor his people. I refuse to do that. Finally, finally, the people show up who say, listen, one more time. You know, we are, we are the, the most popular princes of the people. And uh, we look at these gifts and Balaam says, no, I will not do it. Finally, he succumbs. And he goes, 
And the next chapter says that God was angry. So apparently Balaam was enticed by something. His heart was not right. And as he went, he said, I will not speak of anything that God will not allow me to speak. I will speak for God. So Balak says, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go out to the the plains of Peor and I need you to curse the children of Israel. And Balaam holds his ground and says, I will not do, I will only speak what God permits me to speak. Okay, fine. Just curse him, okay? He goes out to the plains of Baor and pronounces a blessing over them. Four times he goes out there and pronounces a blessing and Balak is going, are you serious? I am paying you to curse these people. And faithfully, he blesses them. He only speaks blessings over the people. But there's an interlude. And later on, it's referenced back to Balaam's time. That Balaam advised Balak, the king, listen, I cannot pronounce a curse over these people. However, you want to bring these people down? This is the way to do it. Introduce the women. Introduce the women to their people. Seduce them. And they will compromise. They will become as you are. They will eat food, sacrifice to your God, Baal. They will have children from your wives. And they will compromise. And Jesus is saying to the church of Pergamum, you have some You have people of compromise. They are no longer thinking clearly. This is a church of indiscriminate tolerance. They have bought into the ways of the world because they have left their back door open. And Jesus this morning is warning us Do not love the world. You are to be Christians who are in the world, savoring all the good gifts, but do not love these things as you love me. You see, many of these people who are showing up for worship at this church had no problem of worshiping the culture and the world and buying into their values and their systems, enjoying the world and savoring and just, oh, this and that and oh, these things are okay because the world and the culture says this is okay. But on Sunday morning, I'm putting on my best and I am looking sharp and I can at the same time worship Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are either worshiping me, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. You love me or you love the world. Those are the two choices that you have. You love me 
or you love the world. You see, here's the deal about Jesus. Jesus is a jealous bridegroom who will do anything and everything in his power to protect and preserve his bride. Jesus loves his church. And he wants his bride to be presented to him as pure and spotless. Women, I want you to think about the weddings that you've attended or been a part of. When that bride, that back door opens up, what do you see? And how is she dressed? Radiant, pure, and spotless, without blemish. In fact, she spends the whole morning at some beauty salon doing crimps and curls and putting things in her hair and on her face that she never will do again. Right? Spend hundreds of dollars at some salon looking like a woman. Who is she? She is amazing. You wake up the next morning going, who are you? Right? And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I will protect my bride. I am this jealous bridegroom who wants my bride to be pure, to be holy, to be beautiful before me. I love her. In fact, Jesus says, I love her so much that I did what? I gave up my life for this bride. She's mine. I've purchased her with a price. And there are some among the church in Pergamum who have been seduced into com compromise. They've become far too tolerant of false teaching and compromising And these, these doctrinal errors are so grievous to Jesus that he says, listen, you need to repent. And if you do not repent, what does he say? I'm going to come to you and do what? I'm going to come to you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. I will execute judgment myself. Jesus does not tolerate compromise. He does not tolerate heresy within the church. He wants us to faithfully resist. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be true. He wants us to be his pure, spotless bride who is found in the world where he's planted us. He wants us to be found pure and spotless in this world, to be a light to this world, to be radiant. One of the greatest things that people have against the church is that we're hypocritical. We preach one thing, but what do we do? A total other. And Jesus says, no. I want you to stay true. As a pastor... Of the, our church, I want you to know that as believers, we cannot worship Jesus Christ and at the same time participate in non Christian practices. We have but one master, 
Jesus Christ, and we serve Him alone. And as elders, Nathan and I have got to have our ears listening, our eyes watching. And we've got to lovingly execute church discipline. When there's any amongst us who are, who are going wayward, following the compromise of the world, that ultimately will affect our church. And lovingly, as a parent executes, executes discipline, as administers discipline to our children, it is for the purpose of what? Correction, right? For safety and well-being. I look at, I look at the denomination that we are a part of. And I have grave, grave concerns. There are many within our fellowship who have compromised. In spite of biblical commands about marriage, they have compromised. And the scary thing for me is that Jesus promises that if we do not repent as a denomination, what will happen? He will come soon with the sword and execute His judgment. Our culture today says you can be worldly. You can be both Christian and of this world. Hey, Go out and get sloshed and enjoy it. And come to church Sunday morning, though. Maybe with a little hangover, but you can still be a Christian because you know there's enough grace for you. Jesus will forgive. What have we bought into? You know what? The finances that he has given you, they're yours. You worked a hard 40, 50, 60, 80 hour week. You deserve it. It is all about you. And Jesus goes, what are you talking about? These are gifts that God has given you to further his kingdom, to further his purposes. That right there is compromise. It's becoming about me and what the world is saying. You, you and your sexuality, it is for you to explore, you to enjoy, you to savor, you to experiment in, you to live out your own ways. And Jesus said, are you serious? That is a gift that I have given to you for a man and a wife within the context of a holy marriage. That is something beautiful that represents Jesus and his bride. Do not throw that into the wind and just say, uh, culture says. Jesus says, I want a pure, spotless bride. And the beautiful thing is that he ends. Those who overcome, who listen to what the Spirit is saying and overcome, I have a promise for you. The one who conquers I will give some of the hidden manna. I believe this is referring to, to John 16 where Jesus says, listen, I am the bread of life. I am that, that manna, that, 
was one time referred to in, that was in the ark that Moses promised and was hidden in the ark. I am that manna, the bread of life, the one, the one who satisfies you and you come to me hungering for more of me. I will give you. You overcome, I will satisfy you. And ultimately at the end of time, I will satisfy you at a wedding feast that is like no other feast, no other wedding ceremony that you have ever been a part of. It is going to be the best party, the best wine, and you are going to enjoy me forever. But it's only for those who overcome. And on top of that, I'm going to give you an entrance pass. A white stone. And on it is going to be a name that only those who are true believers will recognize that name. All throughout Revelation, Jesus talks about how he will receive a new name. He himself will have a new name. And on that name, on that white stone, the believer will go, I know that one. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. I've overcome only through the help of God Himself. And I now have admittance to the wedding feast. And that is the promise for the church, for individuals, to persevere in faithfulness, in obedience, in purity. Follow closely after Jesus, not the world. Overcome by the power of the Word. So how do we do this? We have got to be people of the Word. There's something called the perspicuity of the Word of God where the reading of the Word is absolutely clear for Paul Vroom, for Eric Bailey, for Cindy DeRyder, Pat Myers, Cheryl Carter. As we read the Word of God, it does not take a Greek specialist, a Hebrew specialist to say, oh, you know what this really meant? Back some 2,000 years ago on... The sun was shining a certain way. It was 80 degrees. And this is what Jesus really said. No. Read it. If the Spirit of God is dwelling within you, He will make this clear. There's no special theatrics or circus activities going on to make it read a certain way according to how culture wants you to interpret it. It is clear. We have got to be people of the Word. We have got to be people of honest community. It requires us to be in community with one another where we can speak lovingly and honestly into each other's lives and express fears and concerns based off the Word of God for one another. Accountable, loving relationships. Say, hey, I'm concerned about the direction of your life or what you're buying into. You're, You're becoming more of the world than being a Christian in the world. 
It requires us to be coming together as a body of Christ, to be underneath the Word of God, to worship Him corporately, so we hear the same things together. So that together we are transformed by the renewing of our mind as we hear the words, and we're being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. It requires us to be a church, as much of it as it scares you, to be a church that exercises church discipline. As a parent who administers discipline. And it requires us to be like the church in Ephesus. To understand that when we have lost our first love in Jesus Christ, that we are called back to our love for Jesus. The church Pergamum was seduced. But I believe that those who receive the promise and who overcome never have to fear the sword of justice. For we are Christ. And He knows that we are His. As we come to the Lord's Supper, this is a foreshadowing of the great feast of the Lamb that is to come. That all the promises that have been made and are being made are still yes and amen. Are still true for us. That the gospel today is as powerful as it was when it was first presented. As we come, we remember our own fallenness. And we've got to remember how we are daily being seduced by the world become of the world. And we repent. Jesus says, he must, you must repent. So before we come to the Lord's Supper, we must repent. And then we come celebrating. As a party participant who is coming to a wedding feast, we come celebrating. Enjoying and savoring the forgiveness and the joy that we find only in Jesus Christ. We we come celebrating. So when you receive the bread and you hear the body of Christ broken for you, you say, thanks be to God. Not a somber, thanks be to God. And you go to the cup where they say, the blood of Christ poured out for you. You dip the bread in and you say, Amen. Because it's a celebration, isn't it? You have been given the white stone with with Jesus' name on it and you know I have forgiveness. I have admittance into the kingdom of God. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. And you consume knowing that He is good. And His promises are true today. And His promises are finally consummated in His kingdom at the end of time. So on the night that He was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and He broke it. Saying that this is my body that is broken for you. Thanks be to God. And in the same way, he took the cup of blessing. And when he had poured it, he said, This is a cup in the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And God's people said, Amen. Would those who are serving, please come forward. This meal is open to all who believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and have confessed with their mouth. This meal is open to those who are are part of a Christian church who love Jesus Christ. Take a moment to repent. And when ready, take a piece of bread, the body of Christ broken for you. Come to the next station, dip it in, blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen. And you may consume. Come, for all things are ready.